Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. If you are brand new, we're in the middle of a series. It's been a seven-week series titled, I Believe. Everybody say, I believe. And here's the ethos, the thesis of this series is your beliefs affect your behaviors. Um, small beliefs, little beliefs, they always are going to affect your behaviors no matter what. I'll even prove it to you in a simple illustration. I believe that olives ruin pizza. Can I get an amen? Who thinks olives? You believe it. Olives are disgusting on pizza. So you believe that. So therefore, you will not order that. And it will affect the way you eat pizza. I believe pineapple is delicious on pizza. Anybody else? That's less, but I'll take it, Okay. That's a small belief that affects my behavior. Your beliefs will affect your behaviors. Now, big beliefs. I believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of life. I believe that Jesus is the one that can redeem my soul. I believe Jesus can set me free of bondage. I believe daddy wounds, uh, life, uh, uh, child wounds, the only way those can be redeemed, his name is Jesus. That's a bigger belief. Can I get an amen for that? And so what we've been trying to do is challenge ourselves. And what do we believe? What do I really believe? Do I believe that Jesus could change my life? Do I believe that Jesus has a plan and promise for my life? And today we're going to talk about, do I believe in the church? Do I believe the church is actually everything God called it to be? Do I believe the church is still um, serving its purpose? Do I believe the church is supposed to be important? These are all things we're going to find out today. Does that sound good? Turn your Bibles to John 12. We're going to read a little verse real quick. Uh, John 14, 12, excuse me. It says this, I tell you the truth. I love when somebody starts with, I'm going to tell you the truth. Were you going to lie before? Um, but it's really just trying to over, it's almost like I want you to understand this. I'm telling you the truth, a life-changing truth. Anyone who believes, everybody say believe, in me will do the same works. This is Jesus talking. So whoever believes in Jesus will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to go be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So the Son of Man can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Man, I want a faith-filled church. Man, I want a church that believes that uh, what's happened in the Bay Area, that young people that are killing themselves at a rapid rate, it's the number two killer in young people, that when the church comes to town, we can flip that on its head and young people can find value and truth. I believe God can change things. Can I get a yes? Okay. Um, so I believe it. I believe it. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to talk about the church, and uh, I just want to communicate just the importance of the church. Matthew 16, Jesus comes on the scene. It's in Caesarea Philippi, it says in Matthew 16. Caesarea Philippi is this northern town in Israel. Uh, before Caesarea Philippi, it was called Paneus, uh, after the Greek god Pan, the one that played the flute. Okay, you guys know this one? Okay, cool. Um, and so the Greek uh, town that called Pan, uh, Paneus was, I mean, a ton of idol worship. Um, and then uh, Caesar uh, um, takes over, Rome takes over, and makes a temple there. And so there's just a bunch of idols. It's saturated with idol worship. Uh, in Caesarea Philippi. Jesus comes on the scene with his disciples, they're walking there, and he asks a question, not only why he asks it, but where he asks it, it is so important to the story. So he asks this question to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And I love what Peter does. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And what uh, Jesus says to Peter goes, okay, here's the deal, you are blessed because you know I'm Jesus. I mean, people are trying to find blessing everywhere. You want to find out the first way to get blessed? Find out that Jesus is Lord. And it goes on to say, here's what I'm going to do, Peter. I'm going to build uh, the church, uh, and your new name is uh, Rock. And on this rock, Jesus, so little rock, on the big rock, I'm going to build the church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The church is the vehicle that will change the world. A city needs hope, a church needs to come to that city. A city needs help, a church needs to come to that city. That's what I believe. That's what Scripture says. You may not believe it. Maybe you believe that a, a, a city needs more olive gardens. I have no idea what you think the city needs to transform a city. I think a city needs great churches, life-giving churches, biblical churches, churches that lift up the name of Jesus. That's what happens. So the church is Jesus' idea, not our idea. Yeah. Second one, 
is in Acts 20, it says he purchased the church. He paid for the church. Ephesians 5, it says he just loves the church like a bride. He loves the church. It says in Colossians 1 that he's the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. I'm just here to serve. He's in charge of the church. It says in 1 Peter 2 that he's built, we build the church on him. He is the cornerstone. And then in the Gospel of John, 21 chapters, five chapters, Jesus is praying. Uh, um, John records his prayers. Each um, account of Jesus, there's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Synoptic Gospels, means similar, fancy word. And then John is about 80% different because it records this different an eyewitness account of just other things that were going on during Jesus' day. And what John decides to write down is his prayers. So 25% of the book is Jesus praying. And you know what he's praying for that 25% in that book? For the church. He's praying for you and I that it would be a we thing, not a me thing. You know you're not supposed to do life alone. You've heard the, maybe the quote, if you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go with somebody else. It says that people would know that we're the church with how we like live life together, that we're unified. The enemy's not afraid of a big church. He's afraid of a unified church. And so uh, I think I've established how important the church is to Jesus. Can we agree with that? Yes? Okay, so, so this is my, my question we're going to pray. Is why is it then that so many churches suck? Can I say that? Can I say it? Why is it that when you tell people about church, it's like, ooh, you know? Well, hey, you should come to church. Huh? Why? Why is it that I, I've been to churches and they're so judgmental or they're just boring and stuffy and dead and just lackadaisical and lazy? Why is that? I think somewhere along the way, after Jesus gave the mandate of the church, because in Acts 2, it was not a boring church. Thousands were, it was so not boring, they thought the church was drunk. That's how great it was. Yo, they drunk at 10 a.m.? No, no, that's just called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> they like the party. Welcome to the church. So the church was so great that they had such an abundance that everybody's needs was being taken care of. Everybody had community. They, were, they weren't only having church on Sunday. They were just going to lunch the next day. Like, where should we go to lunch today? We should go to Sauce. We should go to Babalu's. And they were having a great life. And when they were at restaurants, people were also getting saved at restaurants. And then something happened. And this church started sucking. Can I kind of use that term at church today? Is okay? I'll, I'll give you a little history. The church was exploding. Oh, it was exploding. And then Constantine comes on the scene, and the persecution after Nero stops, and he makes the church basically um, uh, no more persecution. He goes, okay, you're allowed to be a Christian now. And then the Christians got comfortable, and it became a routine and religion. And then the Bible got taken away in one era of our time where nobody could actually read the Bible because it was only for the elites, and, and the, uh, there's just been these different eras. And now we're in the, what I would call the American church phase. And I believe the church is supposed to be the greatest place on the planet. I believe it's supposed to be the most powerful vehicle. I believe it's supposed to be the most enjoyable place. I believe the community of God, I think we got to ace up our sleeve, and it's Jesus as he knits the body together. I think um, relationships knitted by God are the greatest relationships. So how do we have that? How does that happen? You guys want to find out? What if I stopped right there? Thanks for coming. Take care. Bye. Let's not suck anymore, all right? All right, good, good talk, good talk. Uh, bow your heads, I'm going to pray. Lord, forgive me for saying suck in church. Uh, first of all, uh, Lord, we love you. Uh, Lord, as we go into your message, Lord, I pray that my words will follow the floor and your words will soar. Lord, your word shows us um, really who you are and who we're called to be. Your word is a gift to us. So, so may we learn from your words today. May lives be changed today. Uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Oh, do what you can only do, Lord. Uh, we don't change people. You change people. We don't set people free. You set people free. We don't uh, fulfill people. You fulfill people. Lord, we love you. We love you. Everybody said? All right, so we're going to look at just Hebrews 10. It's a lot of ways, but why do churches lose their way? Why do they become stuffy, dead? Why is the church declining in some regions? What is happening? And I think Hebrews 10 actually gives us this great insight of the challenge to the church on how to uh, stay vibrant, how to stay vital, how to be a life-giving church, how to be a biblical church, how to be a church that lifts up the name of Jesus. And there's three things that's unpacked in Hebrews 10. First one you'll see in Hebrews 10 is Christ's sacrifice is enough. 
going to talk about that in Hebrews 10 to the church. Second thing to talk about is Christ's sacrifice is effective. It's a game changer. It changes lives. And last but not least, Christ's sacrifice sets the bar on how we're supposed to live now as a community. So let's talk about the first one. Christ's uh, sacrifice is enough. And we're going to read Hebrews 10 in just a second. Uh, but uh, I'll talk to people and invite them to church. And I'm like, hey, you should come to church. And they'll be like, Ty, you don't know my story. I- I've done way too much. All right. And I'm always like, come on, try, try me. Let me see uh, what's, uh, what's the worst thing you've done. And what I want to tell them real quick is like, actually, let me try you real quick. Let me tell you about one of my buddies. Uh, Andrew Gard, Grace City um, Church, uh, one of the pastors in here is my childhood best buddy. Neither of us grew up in church. Andrew, before he got saved, he was smoking more weed than anybody that I knew. We'd go home on lunch, and he would smoke weed. I didn't smoke weed because I was asthmatic. The only thing I hit was an inhaler. <laughs> Don't knock it before you had some albuterol. It is good. <laughs> Opens up the lungs. Feel like a superhero, okay? So all I hit was an inhaler. Uh, Drew would be smoking weed. He'd be sleeping around like crazy. I mean, he did, you name the sin, Drew was like, where's it at? I'm in, okay? Uh, uh, Drew worked at a, uh, a sports store. He would literally steal from them every single time uh, at work until he got caught and uh, got um, fired by it. But, I mean, he was, anything you named it, that's what he was. And then he got saved. And now Drew, because not only is his sacrifice efficient, but it's effective. My buddy Drew is one of the most integrous human beings I know on the planet, one of the most fulfilled people. Great husband, married 15 years. He's got twins. He's going to be here in a couple of weeks and preach. And to watch his life transform in front of me showed me, man, if Jesus can do that, he can do almost anything because he is efficient. Let me, let me put it this way. In Hebrews 10, it says this. It says that, that we can come boldly, that we can come confidently into the throne room. We can come to church with confidence because of the sacrifice of what Jesus did. Now, let's talk about confidence real quick. I didn't grow up with a lot of confidence. Who's like the, you know anybody who's super confident? Do we all know those people? Like, let's go to junior high days. Like, that's probably the least uh, confident era ever, right? Like, you're like awkward. Like, it's weird too. Like, if you're confident in seventh grade, you're still confident in 50. You could have like a beer gut. You're like, you don't understand in seventh grade, I was ripped. Like, there's something fascinating about junior high, how it shapes the way you see yourself still. I still remember like those kids that play sports and we'd be playing, you know, a football outside and be 50 degrees. And they're like, oh, I got to take my shirt off because the girls are playing soccer and you had a six pack. And you're like, bro, it's 50. Put your shirt on. He's like, no, I'm so hot and sweaty. And you're like, confident. I never did that. I remember uh, being shirts and skins. And the coach saying, hey, you got to be skins, Todd. I'm like, I'm keeping my shirt on, man. I'm not trying to show this to nobody, okay? No confidence. I had no confidence for so many reasons. Every girl I asked out growing up said no. They, but they said it in a nice way. You're like a brother to me. <laughs> but I'm not your brother. The test results came back. I'm not your brother, okay? Well, I could be your boyfriend, all right? It didn't make me feel any better that now I'm your brother. Oh, I just love talking to you for hours about the guys I do like. Not fun, okay? So I had no confidence, no confidence, until, everybody say until, until eighth grade. First girl that I ever heard that had a crush on me, her name was Colleen. I remember being third period, and my buddies come up to me, Joey's like, yo, hey, Colleen's got a crush on you. I'm like, for real? Are you, are, are you serious? And it was like one of those moments. I was like, don't be messing with her, man. You know, like, it's like, because we, we prank each other a lot. He's like, no, look, no, she thinks you're hilarious. Well, yeah, duh, but I mean, like, she actually thinks I'm a, tr- you see me in eighth grade, I was like five, five, <laughs> okay. Um, it's, it's John, the Johnson jeans. And then in ninth grade, I grew a whole foot. So uh, no girl thought I was a, a tra- it was what it was. I had to play the humor card all the time. Um, and then became her brother. So anyways, uh, so third period, they said, yeah, Colleen, yeah, she thinks you're cute. She thinks funny. She likes you. Like, she, she literally has a huge crush on you. And I remember walking out of third period, I was like, boom, I had a different swagger, had my walking around money, if I could put it that way, you know, just felt, just felt confident. And Colleen was in my fourth period class. I remember walking in the fourth period and Colleen was sitting around there like, hey, what's up, Colleen? And she's like, hey, I was like, oh my gosh, she's so obsessed with me. Relax. Okay, girl, back up. You're so thirsty right now. Okay, come on, come on. I haven't even asked you out yet. Okay. And so 
And so she's sitting there, and I remember just that class, just sitting there for the whole um, 55 minutes of fourth period and going, oh my gosh, Colleen is all, I'm, I'm asking her out after class, because I know when I ask, she's going to say yes, because I'm coming boldly, because I heard that she likes me. So I remember after class, I walk up to Colleen, hey, Colleen, you want to go see, Titanic was out at this time, you want to go see Titanic on Friday? She's like, oh my gosh, I'd love to go see Titanic. I was like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Joey's going to pick up his girlfriend, well, the mom's going to pick us up, and then we're going to go pick up uh, Jamie, and we're going to pick up Colleen. We're 14, we can't drive ourselves. And so Ford, uh, Windstar minivan, picked up Colleen, I remember going to Titanic, taking her on a date, and we actually dated for like eight months. She's my first girlfriend. Oh. But then we broke up. Ah. Oh. But then I got married to Rachel. Yay, okay, all right, it's all full circle, okay, okay. Here's the deal, I think one of the greatest travesties the church is doing is that it is hiding one of the greatest truths ever, that Jesus likes the world. That people that you're around you at work, if they just knew, you know Jesus loves you, that he likes you, that he wants you, that he wants you, no, 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 he couldn't like me, no, no, he likes you. If I could just term, it, it's bigger than a crush, he loves you like a bride. What, I don't even get this, just come to church, find out who Jesus is. I think a lot of people don't think Jesus likes them. I think they come in like, okay, are you gonna kill me? Or if you knew what I did, you would just, if I walked in the church, I'd just catch on fire. What? Man, we got, the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross, it is more than enough. It says that we are spotless. Um, uh, it's effective. It changes lives. If I could, if I could just put it this way, let's let's read a, uh, let's read a, a, a Hebrews ten. Hebrews ten. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven, most holy place, because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtains to the most holy place. I don't know about you, but Rachel's done a lot of great things, and I know she loves me. She never died on a cross for me. She never conquered the grave for me. You don't know if Jesus loves you. He, Jesus care about your life. He invaded earth, became a man, died on a cross, conquered the grave. Yes, he cares about you. Goes on to say, by his death, Jesus opened up a new life-giving way. I don't know about you, man. I'm so thankful God gave a new way for us. He created a new way through the uh, curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. Stop. Okay, so uh, I'm a spiller. Anybody else spill when you eat all the time? Uh, okay, so before there, this, uh, about 10, maybe 15 years ago, the Tide to Go pens came out. Do you guys remember the Tide to Go pens came out? Remember the first time I spilled and they were like, oh my gosh, you want to borrow my Tide to Go pen? I was like, what is this? They're like, just rub it on your, uh, where you spilled. I'd rub it on where I spilled. They're like, I'm like, oh my gosh, real magic does exist. It's gone, you know? And so now I have like seven Clorox, like bleach pens, seven Tide to Go pens. Because before, when you would stain your shirt, you'd have to go home. It'd be too late. You'd throw in the washer and it'd be over. Well, before Jesus came, when you would sin, you'd have to go to the temple and bring an animal sacrifice. And it was not sufficient. The stain of sin was still there. And so I love this picture. Let me, let me give you another illustration for you. It talks about, so because we had sin, it sprinkles Christ's blood. It's his tied-to-go pen, if I could put it that way. The, the, the reality of what happened when Jesus came is that his, a sprinkle of God's blood is more than enough to wipe off the sin and guilt off your life. But do you believe that statement? Let me say it this way. Uh, I grew up in, um, in Washington. First youth pastor job ever was in Tumwater, Washington. Uh, little kids would sell cows for cars. Uh, like, hey, I'm getting a car. I got to sell two of my cows. I'm like, where am I living right now, you know? Like the kids, like, uh, like basketball warm-ups were Carhartt jackets. Uh, this is not a joke, okay? Tumwater, Washington, okay? And so but when you live in a town of Tumwater, I remember when I was like, um, uh, I came up like, hey, what's up, homies? You know, and some of the kids were like, are you a gangster? No, I'm not a gangster. What's up, homies makes me a gangster. Okay, where did I move? Okay, so I'm in Tumwater, and um, 
uh, these, uh, uh, these kids, you know, they all lived on, a lot of them lived on farms. And I remember uh, one of my buddies telling me a story about one of their kids who was playing in manure out there. They didn't know they were playing manure, but they're like three or four years old and uh, wanted to come in. And the mom and dad were outside and the little girl saw dad walk outside and she just ran up to, she wanted to give him a big old hug. And so as she's running to the dad and he's like, oh, that's manure. And so what the dad does, like any loving dad, Heisman's her. And just holds her at arm's leg. And she's like, Dad, please. And he's like, you got to, we got to wash you off first. I got clothes on. She's like, I just want to hug you, Dad. No, you're not going to get a hug right now. She didn't understand why he was holding her back. And so the mom went and got a hose and just started spraying her down. <laughs> Counseling is in this girl's future for sure, okay? I don't remember. I just know they were spraying me with the hose for no reason. My dad wouldn't hug me. She didn't know she had manure on her, okay? So, so spraying the girl down. And finally she's clean. And they let her back in the house. And, and I... I'll be honest, for me, the way I feel about my sin a lot of the time is that Jesus needs to take out the fire hose of heaven and just spray me down with his blood. Oh, you're so nasty and sinful. It's going to take some time before you can come in the house. But that's not what scripture says. Scripture says, sprinkle, sprinkle, come on in. I, I, I feel like we take the, the tide to go pen or, or, or a brush of heaven and our shirt is clean, but we say, no, I know, you, I know, it's, I know you said it's clean, but it's not clean enough. And so you start just punishing yourself, like, okay, I, I, I failed so much, and I'll, I'll come to church in a couple weeks, but if people knew what happened this week, they, they would judge me, and I just feel so much shame over it. So you're washing what is already clean. How silly would it be if I got a shirt out of the wash, and it was perfectly clean, and I put it, back, put it back in the washer, and then I put it back in the washer, and I got it out, and I scrubbed it clean again. You would think I'm crazy. Well, churches are crazy sometimes because they are busy washing sin when they should be busy worshiping the king. Can I say it this way? When the church makes sin bigger than the sacrifice, they've lost their way. The sacrifice is big enough. Ty, are you saying sin's not a big deal? No, my sin is great. I'm just saying my Savior is greater. Okay? So, so when I navigate the church, when it gets really special, when it stops sucking and it starts to become really special, I'm going to use that a lot. I didn't even use that in 845. I didn't say the word suck once in 845. This is just for you, 1015. You're welcome. All right? Oh, I feel so special. Um, let's keep going. So there's the three things. So he goes on. Let's keep reading. Uh, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let's hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. That Greek word is actually spur to irritate, to confront. We should irritate each other a little bit. We should challenge each other. There should be, there should be confrontation in the church, one another. Why should we confront each other? Why should we irritate each other? We should do that so we can uh, spur each other on to, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. That's the Greek word, uh, episangogage, which is a Greek word which means synagogue, which means church, basically. Okay, That's why we meet together on a regular basis, because we encourage each other here, and we irritate each other a little bit here. Can I get an amen? Okay? And some people do, but, do not, uh, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Stop. Some churches are great at just confronting. Sin, 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 sin. And they're terrible at encouraging. Some churches are great at encouraging, but they're terrible at confronting people who are living a religious life. But great churches confront and encourage. And great churches, it says, stir each other up to do good works. Stir each other up. Do you ever get, maybe just to me, but do you ever feel like um, life is like a marathon? You're like, okay, another week, another month. Okay, can I make it? Do you know that there are studies shown that home court teams uh, have a higher winning rate just because people are doing this? You can do it! That's the only difference. The only difference is they have people screaming, you can do it. 
So more people win in life when you have a crowd of people saying, stirring you up, you can do it. Take the shot. Live another day. Make a great decision. Uh, don't let the bad thing that you did yesterday define your tomorrow. You can do it. Let me, let me put it this way. We should be a church that stirs each other up to do things we never would have done. You ever have those friends that like talk you into things you never should have done? Man, I, I remember being seven years old, a kid named Mikey, he would just always talk me into doing things I shouldn't do. He'd be like, you know what we should do today? I'm like, what should we do today? We should smash batteries with a hammer. Okay, so he smashed batteries with a hammer. And I remember smashing batteries with a hammer and one of the things out of the batteries got into Mikey's eye. He went to the ER and he almost lost his eye because I guess there's acid in batteries. We didn't know that at age seven. Mikey the next day is like, you know what we should do? I've got snorkel gear. We should go snorkeling in the swamp and catch frogs. We went snorkeling in the swamp and we caught frogs. He'd always have an idea to stir me up. He'd be like, it'd be amazing. We could catch the big frogs. You know, we only can see the top. What if we had goggles? We could see the bottom, Tyler, and we could just be the... Th so I'm snorkeling in a swamp because Mikey gives me an idea. I remember, I remember wanting to fly, and we watched Mary Poppins, and Mike's like, you know what we should do? We should jump off the roof with umbrellas. You're a genius, Mikey. Jumped off the roof with an umbrella. It, it mushroomed. I fell on a bed. I almost busted my ankle. It was terrible. Just so you know, you're getting stirred up to do something. You are. You're getting stirred up to do something. Stirred up to go out on, uh, to the club, whatever, you know. Stirred up to go out to a bar. Stirred up to quit. You're getting stirred up to do something, but it says the church should stir each other up to do good works and to love people. I want to share a story with you real quick. Tony Campolo, a famous pastor, uh, traveled around the world uh, just, you know, sharing who Jesus is. And he, uh, he, gets, he got to Hawaii. Uh, he's going to speak there. And he got there at 3 a.m. and he was uh, hungry and not that tired, so he decided to go to a diner. Goes to a diner, and at that diner, he, uh, um, he hears two women talking about a birthday. And one of them's name is Agnes, and it's her birthday the next day. And she said, I never had a birthday, uh, and uh, it's just another day for me. And so she's, you know, just going to have a birthday tomorrow, but do nothing and just go to work. Well, what Tony hears as Agnes and this other girl are talking is he finds out they're prostitutes. Um, uh, at 3 a.m., he's a pastor, hears it, hears that she's going have a birthday, walks up to the diner owner, his name's Harry, and says, Harry, can we throw Agnes a party tomorrow at 3 a.m.? And Harry kind of reluctantly goes, okay, we can throw her a party. We'll throw her a party. And so he goes, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to buy the cake. I'll buy all the decorations. You invite Agnes's friends. We'll surprise her, and we'll have, she'll have her first birthday party. And so um, uh, uh, Tony comes at about 2.30 a.m. Friends start showing up. They're decorating. And Tony, the pastor, starts to realize that all of Agnes's friends are prostitutes. So there's about 20 people in there, 20 girl prostitutes, and the pastor and Harry, the owner. Okay? He's like, what have I done? Okay? Um, <laughs> Where the party at, okay? Uh, 3 a.m., uh, 20 prostitutes, Tony uh, and Harry. This is the picture. Agnes walks in at about 3.15. And the true it's a true story. It's in one of his books. Uh, walks in, and Agnes falls to the ground weeping. She's surprised. She's overwhelmed. Um, they, they bring the cake to her to blow it out, but she's crying so hard she can't blow the candles out. So Harry blows the candles out, and then they set it down, and then they give Agnes a little knife to cut the cake. And Agnes is like, I, I've never had a birthday cake. Can I not cut it? Can I, can I actually bring it home? Can I take it home with me and so I can just look at it? I would love to be able to keep my cake for a while. I just never had a birthday cake. Is that okay? And they're like, Agnes, it's your birthday cake. You can do whatever you want with it. Of course, yes. Take it home. She's like, okay, live down the street. I'll be right back. So she takes the cake and goes, goes to her house. And so five minutes has gone by. And now Tony's sitting there and there's just the 20 prostitutes and Harry. And the birthday girl's gone. And he's like, I don't know what to do. So Tony goes, you know what? Let's pray for Agnes. So Tony starts praying. He goes, Lord, we pray that you'd be great to Agnes, that you would redeem Agnes, that she would know her value, that she would know that you love her, that you died for her. Amen. And then Harry looks at Tony and goes, 
are you like a pastor or something? He's like, yeah, I'm a pastor. You didn't tell me you were a pastor. Now Harry's frustrated this guy's a pastor. Like, oh, you're a pastor, huh? What kind of church are you a part of? And Tony, he's kind of frustrated now that, that this guy, that he partnered with a pastor to throw uh, her uh, a birthday party. He goes, what kind of church am I a part of? I'm a part of the church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. And, and Harry goes, no, you're not. And he's angry at him. He goes, there's no such thing because if there was a church that threw parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m., I would go to that church. And I think one of the reasons why people don't go to church, and can I just say it this way, it doesn't matter how big Mission Church gets, how talented we are, if we are not doing great works outside of these walls, people don't care anything about the message. It's, you can clap for that. It's fascinating to me. It doesn't matter how rich somebody is. It doesn't matter how influential somebody is. You know what speaks the loudest to me always? How they just treat people. How they treat people. And when Jesus came on the scene, he was always showing this with a good Samaritan story over and over again. How are you going to treat people is going to be so loud. Billy Graham said it this way. Billy Graham said that, da, 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 I lost my place in my message. Well, I'm only two years old. Okay, I'm still in diapers. Do two-year-olds wear diapers? Nope. Okay. It's super nice of you guys to tell me that so quickly. Thanks a lot. We are the Bibles the world is reading. We are the creeds the world is needing, and we are the sermons the world is heeding. We can have a message on Sunday. 90% of the people in the room are Christian. It's great. But when you go to Starbucks, 95% of people don't know Jesus. And what a great audience to hear the word. I've heard it say that when the church stops evangelizing, it starts fossilizing. Why the church really starts to die is because we give that job to somebody else. No, the job is yours. I'm, I want to stir you up today. This week, you're going to be around people. Be a Christian. People go, what kind of Christian are you? I'm the kind of Christian that will still hang out with you even though you love to hit that doja while I hit my inhaler. That's the kind of Christian I am. What kind of church do you go to? I think it's so fascinating. The Lord never told us to separate from the world. He told us to love the world. He told us to serve the world. So we got to stir each other up to good work. So a church that stirs each other, a church that encourages each other, and a church that confronts each other. Let's talk about confronting each other. That sounds like a fun subject. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a good old warm hug. Uh, Galatians 2, turn your Bible to Galatians 2. So it's 50 years, uh, and Peter, who was the one that Jesus said, I'm going to build the church upon. Peter, you, I choose you. I'm going to build the church on you. Peter has lost his way. I love that our church is two years old. I love that it's thriving. I love that people are getting saved every Sunday. I love that people are finding community. But it would grieve my heart that 20 years from now, we would lose our way, and we fall in love with preference and comfort more than actually evangelizing and worshiping God. And th- what's crazy is, is Peter hung out with Jesus like literally in the flesh, watched him walk on water, and Peter even lost his way and made it about a religion more than relationship in this moment. And so Paul has to confront him. And it says this in Galatians 2, but when Peter came to Antioch, Antioch was uh, uh, similar to like San Francisco. It would have been one of the bigger cities, had a library, had all the things that a metropolis city at this time would would have had. It's an amazing thing. So big city, a lot of diversity, a lot of opportunity to show that the word of God is for everybody, not just somebody. So he goes and say, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. As a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. I don't even know how this conversation started. You hanging out with that guy who's not circumcised? Not cool, man. You know how weird of a church that is? That is a weird church. I can't eat with you. Why? You're not circumcised. How did you even know? I don't want to talk about it. Not allowed to talk to you. 
Can I unpack this real quick? You know how silly church looks to a lot of people when they read Facebook quotes from Christians? When they see Christians fighting over things and dividing over things? It's as silly as fighting over circumcision. And so Paul comes and confronts Peter, and he says, you've taken what the gospel message is, and you made it about the law now instead about love. You've made it about self-righteousness instead about grace. And can I just tell you, leaders who cannot be questioned do questionable things. Churches who cannot be questioned do questionable things. And so Paul says, I'm about to irritate you because you're not doing a good work anymore. You are dividing the world. You are making it a self-righteous thing. There is bondage when we make it religion, and that's what you're doing, Peter. And I had to confront you to your face and say, it's not about what kind of food we're eating on the table or if we're circumcised or not circumcised. It's about a man named Jesus who died on a cross and rose again, and now we all live under the same grace because none of us can match the law. Now, confronting is a fascinating thing because it's not easy. It's not. And the, the Bible says that we need to be family because you can't confront people unless you're family. It's a different kind of, when you're confronting your, like, somebody like at work you barely know, it's, just, it's, it's not received the same way. But when you're confronted by somebody who loves you, oh, it's, it's a game changer. Oh, I'm just, even this week, Rachel came home Thursday night. She'd been fighting the cold, and she comes home, and she, um, she grabs my hand, and she looks at me. I was like, did I do something wrong? It was like one of those moments, like, she's like, she's like Tyler? I was like, yeah. She, and it, was like, it was a really sweet moment. Like, I was like sitting there. She, like, literally, she literally got, I was sitting down, and she was like this, and she grabbed my hand, and she was just looking at me. She goes, yes, yeah, it gets worse. Um, she goes, you're just so kind. You're, you're so patient. Like, I've been so hard this week, and I've been so sick, and you've just been so chill and so kind to me. And then she looked at me, she goes, I'm not very kind and patient. I get irritable real quick. And I go, yeah, you do. And she goes, oh, I'm irritable? Oh, oh, I'm not patient like you, huh? Well, you just showed me. Exhibit A, you know. And again, like I just was giving up this husband and wife, hey, I love you, baby girl, but you can get irritable sometimes. AKA, if we are gonna have the best marriage possible, I'm not gonna say, hey, just be uh, unkind and irritable for the rest of your life. Rachel's amazing, so she gets upset once in a while. I talk too loud in the morning. Um, I, uh, I watch TV shows too loud. I don't shower every day, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> kind of bard is this, what am I supposed to be, a perfect boy? Um, uh, about a month earlier, I'll share one more, why not? We got time, aka three minutes and 27 seconds. Um, she sent me this article on um, healthy ways of fighting with spouses. I was like, dang, are we like fighting too much? So I like, just thought it was interesting, but it's five ways spouse fights. One is, they call it the historical fighter. You bring up stuff from three years ago. Well, it's like just like three years ago when you did this and this and this. That's a historical fighter. Second one is the passive-aggressive fighter, the one that you've maybe seen this, your spouse do this. You're right, I'm wrong, you're smart, I'm stupid, never mind. You're like one of those ones, like totally passive-aggressive. You win the battle, fine, congratulations, all right, you know. Um, so that would be passive-aggressive. Then there's just the screamer. Somebody's like, no, that's not true. And they just get louder and louder and louder. That's the screamer. And then there's the sulker, the one where they get upset and they're just like this. <laughs> Silent treatment, sulker. It's just so, what's wrong? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> talk to me. I don't want to talk to you. And then three days later, you ate my English muffin. <laughs> well, all right, we can work through this. <laughs> Number five is the listener. It's the best one. When your spouse gets angry, just start listening. Find out why they're mad. Don't respond quickly. And so, you know, I, I literally FaceTime Rachel. I'm like, hey, which one do you think I am? Hoping for the listener, you know. She goes, oh, you're the historical one. And I was like, what? A historical? And I was like, yeah, you're pretty right. I'm a context guy, you know. Um, I never forget. Just kidding. Um, I'm kidding. 
I forgive, but I don't forget. No, I'm kidding. Okay. And so I, uh, I say, Rachel, which one do you think you are? And isn't it fascinating? We just, we see ourselves so different sometimes. And Rachel goes, oh, I'm the sulker. And I was like, no, you're the screamer. And she, she goes, what? I'm not the screamer. And she's like screaming at me through the face. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sulker. Well, you would be sulking right now if you were the sulker. But you were screaming. She's like, I'm the screamer. Oh. There's something about when you get in community with people and people start to see your good things and your bad things. You know what I love about my family? They know my, they know my good and bad. They still love me. You know what I love about my friends who are family to me? They know my worst failures and they still rally around me. That, that, that's what the church is supposed to be. I think people are so afraid to fail in church because the church is famous for shooting the wounded instead of rallying around them. But man, if the church could actually confront and say, hey, here's why I'm confronting you. You're amazing, but man, you could, you could, if you get rid of this one blind spot in your life, you're, you're kind of narcissistic. You kind of think about yourself a lot. You're always in the small group. You're always talking about yourself. You're never asking people. If you could actually work on that a little bit, man, your life would be so fulfilling. But you'll never, ever actually be able to be confronted and become who you're called to be if you isolate yourself. The community of God is so important to the church. So we got to confront each other. So come on now. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. Uh, let's go to, uh, you got to also encourage each other. You got to encourage each other. So you got to stir each other up. You got to confront each other. You gotta, uh, and you got to um, encourage each other. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 says this. Actually, no, let's do 2, 8 through 10. We don't got time for everything. We got caught up. Shouldn't have said the word suck. All right. Um, <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. God saved you by what? By his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. I just love that. That's the message of Jesus. That the church is not full of perfect people. It's full of redeemed people. Uh, have you guys ever seen those memes? It's an inappropriate meme, but it'd be like, um, uh, there's no way I can see a, a move to a place where I can go skiing, uh, surfing, uh, and you know, go wine tasting. And then Northern California says, hold my beer. Watch this. Lake Tahoe, Napa, you know, Monterey. Like, in a sense, like I can do it all. I can, and gr- what Grace is saying is like, Watch me work. You think you're sinning? Watch me work. And so it goes on to say, uh, no one can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. Everybody say masterpiece. Can I, can I just tell you real quick? Your life will get better when you get better. Oh, that's really profound, Tyler. I know, I know. I worked hours on that quote. Your life will be better when you get better. Let me say it this way. May we never forget that every work of art is first a work in progress. That under construction is a very normal thing in church. That there's some people that maybe look more like a masterpiece, but they've just been in here for 20 years and God's been chiseling away on their life. And you've been in here for a year. Don't compare yourself to somebody who's been in the workshop for 20 years and you're brand new to the place. Don't compare how they respond and how they live their life. Maybe they grew up in church and God's been literally surrounded them their whole life and so they... They just have maybe a different joy yet. And you're like, will I ever have that joy? Yeah, if you allow the great artist to paint the masterpiece in your life. Let me put it this way. Uh, Picasso has a trademark in how he uh, paints. People know Picasso paintings like that. Crazy eyes. Rembrandt's, dark colors. Well, the great artist Jesus also has a trademark. And his trademark is simply this. It's redeemed and loved. You'll see this in John 13. It says this. John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The way that you receive love and give love will show what kind of painting you are. I don't know about you, but 
it's really it's really easy to have a bad day. Like a lot of people are like, hey, how was your day? It was a bad day. And what I find out is it wasn't a bad day, it was a bad five minutes. And a bad five minutes ruins the whole day. And then I ask, how's your life? Well, was it? It's not been a bad life, it was one bad year. And what happens in the church and with people is one year starts to define their whole life until they get around a community of God to say, hey, you had a bad report, I'm here to tell you a new good report. There are studies about positivity. And I'm not, I'm not trying to give you some, the world does not need a TED talk, by the way, okay? I'm not trying to give you a TED talk. Um, but there is something to be said about the word of God and how it literally, negativity, Jesus never celebrates it. It's the opposite. It suffers consequences. It shows that positive people work harder, make more money, whatever. But what I found out is more is when you're around positive people, it extends your life expectancy. You will live longer when you're around faith-filled, hope-filled people. So when your spouse is being negative tomorrow, say, you are killing me, literally. <laughs> Studies show you're shortening my life expectancy. So Numbers 13, there's this moment where Jesus has promised the promised land. Hebrews 10, may we come boldly and know that his promises come true. There's this theme in the Bible that there's a promise on your life. So how do we forfeit the promise? Do you guys remember that one person who gave up? Do you remember their name? Me either. Nobody remembers the one who gives up. But Numbers 13, they have this opportunity. They send 12 people to go find the promised land. And here's what happens. They come back and they're basically saying, oh, it's, it's got uh, amazing food, but it's gonna devour us. It's a land of milk, of milk and honey, but we'll get destroyed. Which one is it? Have you ever tried to um, make reason with somebody who's just a negative human being? Negativity is not a reason thing, it's a spirit thing. Why are you having such a bad day? Oh, that person over there, the way they looked at me and this and that, and I was driving there and you know, just the, you know, the Nevada caucus just happened and blah. What? Like you can't even like try to make, because it's a spirit thing, it's not like, okay, well let's just fix that one thing and there's always gonna be another thing. And so I love what Caleb does. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. I am certain that Jesus can do whatever he wants to do in this region. I am certain that his grace is more than enough. I am certain that Jesus has a plan and promise for my life. I am certain. Goes on to say, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can, uh, can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are and they will spread among the Israelites a bad report. So they, what's here is what happened. They, they spread a bad report uh, throughout the land and they had explored. Can I just tell you some of the obstacles that you need to remove actually have names. Some of the obstacles are people. You can imagine your life. They, all they do, you, you want to start actually living the way you're called and you have these people chirping at you and they're, they're pulling you back and there's something about they missed out on the promised land because of 10 negative people. 10 negative people. I found this out recently, the stat that pastors, why they quit, seven people in church. It's seven or less people that make a pastor want to quit. Seven people just chirping and complaining and dividing. And so the pastor gets worn out by seven people. I'm committed to allow people to um, come into my life, challenge me, question me, but I'm not gonna allow negative people just to speak death into my life. I won't allow it. Goes on to say, they said the land we explored devours those living in it and all the people we saw there are great size. We saw Nephilim there. Uh, we seemed like grasshopper in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Stop. So the land was good. 
Kenneth said we could certainly do it. And then you had 10 people saying it's over. My, my prayer this week is not that you would seek out a Caleb. That would be like you can that you want to hear. I would pray that you would become a Caleb. I think that the church needs more Caleb's and Joshua's. It says that they had a different spirit about them because positivity, if I could just put it that way, faith, hope, belief that Jesus could do better things tomorrow. If I'm just being honest, some of you like, Tyler, if you knew what I did, I caused my divorce. I caused this thing. What happened to me? Oh, I don't even know what my tomorrow could look like. Let me tell you, the land is good. The promise is good. I am certain that your past does not define your future. This is what the word of God shows. This is when churches stay vibrant because guess what's gonna happen in Mission Church? It's gonna get messy. We're gonna have hard months and hard weeks. And we're gonna have hard conversations. But the only way we keep going is we have a lot of Caleb's and Joshua saying, we're not done yet. We can go more, we can save more. We can have bigger buildings. We can have more campuses. We can have more salvations. We have more people saved. That's when church gets special. If your marriage sucks right now, I want you to know something. It can become great again. If your life sucks right now, it can become great again. If your emotions suck right now, they can become fulfilling again. And I'm not saying that as a self-help thing. I'm saying that as a Jesus promise thing. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.